right, so super excited for this morning. Like, I'm excited. Um, I'm, there, there's a lot that is in me that's like just so, I don't, excited doesn't quite encapsulate um, all of it. It's, um, it's marvelous, like just standing there this morning and hearing the church sing. Like, I, I love hearing y'all's voices, don't get me wrong, Mike, but whenever, I, I know your heart too, whenever you step back and you hear everybody singing um, with one accord, and it's just a foretaste of that glory that we will be in one day. Like all of heaven and all of creation singing out. Like it's going to be so cool. And so to have glimpses of that. But but this is a special day. So special, in fact, that I almost wore like khakis and tucked my shirt in. And then I thought, you know what? That would probably be one of the most disingenuous things I could do for these men today. So I didn't. And I was really glad that they didn't either. I was checking jeans. Okay. What is What is so special about today? Just a few years ago, God placed on, on my family's heart that we were supposed to start a new church. And that was absolutely overwhelming, terrifying, daunting. We're, we were, we are ill-equipped to do such a thing as that, but we couldn't deny that like that was the burden on our heart. And, and so I even shared this with several people who, were, who knew my heart, knew me closely. And I said, if you have any check in your spirit, please let me know. And instead what we got was that affirmation, that confirmation that no... Ricky, we have absolute peace with this. This is the direction that y'all are supposed to go. This is, we, we feel like we should give you um, affirmation in this and, and to seek this out. And, um, and pretty quick with that, then two or three families responded to that and just, we just said, hey, we're, we're in. We, we don't know what that looks like. And so we started in our living room and, and then, you know, I go do this thing and I'm talking to another pastor who knows and should care about church planting and cast the vision for what this ultimately is now and talking and, and then getting advice and wisdom, but at the same time feeling a sense of discouragement in it because it was, well, how are you going to do this? 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 And I'm like, I, I don't know. I was like, well, we want to, we just want to, like, we're going to open our living room. We're just we're going to invite believers in. We just want to open the word and read the word and sing the word and just pray together and do life together. And I was like, and that's, that's all I know we're supposed to do. And now here we are about, about four years later from like those, those meetings where we've started actually coming to, together and gathering uh, meeting. And we see, I know Andy sees this. Um, we've, we've talked about it. We see the faithfulness of God in all those things that he put before us all those years ago in our living room meetings. From the beginning, Acts 2, 42 through 47 has shaped our desire to be a church that clings to the four simple essentials, which is to be devoted to God's word, gathering with God's people, honoring the ordinances, and prayer. From the beginning, Matthew 9, 36 has shaped our desire to be an attentive and intentional set of elders who care for the people God has gathered into Cross Life Fort Smith so that they are not helpless or harassed or like sheep without a shepherd. From the beginning, Ephesians 4, 11 through 16 has shaped our desire for how we shepherd, which is to do so in such a way that we can equip the saints to do the work of ministry, wherever that ministry is, however it looks, and in doing so, freeing the members up to actually function as the body of Christ to the fullness of His glory. And so today we get to see the fruit all around all of us as we have clung to those four essential things and God has indeed grown His church. That as we have shepherded, 
God has protected and grown His church. And that as we have striven to equip the saints for the work of ministry, and we do this primarily through the systematic teaching of the Word, the Lord our God has provided for His church body as it grows. So today is all about honoring the Lord through the recognition of men who meet the biblical qualifications of deacons and elders because of the gracious work of God in their lives and in the life of His church. So today we're going to publicly be recognizing and installing additional church leadership to Cross Life Fort Smith by recognizing and appointing Matt Jarvis and Trent McKinley as deacons and by recognizing and appointing Mike Brown as an elder. That's what today is all about, the faithfulness of God through these men in their lives and their families, but for His church as He continues to grow us all. Let's pray. Lord, we are recognizing and appointing men into offices for your church. Or this is not to celebrate these men, Lord. It's to recognize that you have done a work in them, and we believe that this is biblical. We believe it is biblical to recognize the work that you have done in men and women, Lord, as you lead them to, to serve in different capacities. But Lord, you know the fullness of my heart in this. And Lord, you know the foolishness of my heart in this. So Lord, protect me. Protect our hearts as we walk through this. And Lord, may we rest not in, in the foolishness of men, Lord, in the wisdom of how a church should look in a business sense, but Lord, may we rest in what your word has shown us your church should be about which is clinging to the gospel which has saved us, saves us, and secures us until one day we will see you face to face. Lord, I thank you for this day right now because it is the day that you have made. But Lord, it is a day that I pray you are truly honored and glorified at the end of this service and as we continue to go forward because your name and your name alone is the only thing we want praised. Lord, guard my heart, guard our hearts, Lord, and lead us to fullness of joy and understanding in your word and in your works. Amen. All right, so everybody turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to move through Scripture. We want to clarify again what a deacon is, what an elder is, and then we're going to move towards ultimately praying for them and over them at the end of the service and then we will go out with yet a song and a scripture to walk in all of his ways. All right. 1 Timothy chapter 3. First Timothy chapter 3 verses 1 through 16 says, The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, which is translated elder, bishop, we use pastor in America, so if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, elder, pastor, bishop, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer or elder must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, 
He must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace into a snare of the devil. Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So we're going we're to recognize men today that as a congregation have been chosen by you who walk alongside and whose lives have been interspersed in their lives. And then um, we're going to move through this passage and then kind of clarify again the distinction of those roles. What we're not going to do is nuance all the qualifications. We have preached over elders. We have preached over deacons. We have moved through each of those qualifications. They're all out there on a podcast. If you want sermon notes, I'll send you the sermon, like whatever your mode of studying that again. We've preached through all of that. Where I want us to start is actually the great grace of God. Before we move in to the deacons, to the elders, let's, let's talk about the great grace of God. Two ways, two ways, sorry. The great grace of God for our good and for His glory. And then the great grace of God for His church, for His glory. We tend to focus on every Sunday, focusing on the great grace of God for our good and for His glory. That tends to be the mode of operation, especially as we're moving through the Sermon on the Mount, right? Because we're taking this scripture, we're understanding how a great and holy God communicates with His people, and in communicating with His people, we want to respond So His Word is for our good, but ultimately we're living for His glory. And we tend to focus on that grace for us, towards us, for His glory. It's, y'all, by His love, it's by His purposing that we sit here today. It's a great mystery of His great grace towards us that you and I can call upon Him whenever we want. And we dwell on that, or we try to keep that in front of us over and over again. And that's a great thing. We chose 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10 as our opening scripture because listen to this. This is his great grace towards you for his glory. But cross life among, alongside every believer in every nation and tribe and tongue throughout all of time, you are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation, a people for his own possession so that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Remember this. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. That is God's grace towards us for His glory. But I think sometimes we neglect this. His great grace for His church for His glory. Here's what I want us to not miss today. It's so easy for us to do. It's His great grace for His church, for His glory. Look at how great God's love is for us, that that He cares for people so much that He provides leadership for His church. And He didn't just say, okay, you've been saved, now go gather and figure it out. But He says, here's my great grace towards you, and that as I save you and as I gather people together, I will provide the words by which you can rely on for qualifications, for biblical leaders. Here is what I want to lead the church. God's Word is so clear. Why don't we ever cling to it anymore? 
We create our own qualifications, our own criteria. We require degrees. We don't look at characteristics, or I'm sorry, at the character of the person. God's word says, here is what I desire in those who will lead my church of my people. Does that make sense? You understand the grace of that? He tells us exactly what he wants. And then you know what he does? Is he equips men and women to be able to fulfill these by his spirit. He richly provides for us as we gather not individualistically, though he does, but corporately as we gather, his grace is there. And why? So that the church has leaders, so that the church can remain to be devoted, so it can be a buttress of truth in a shifting culture, so that his people can hear and know the word, so that his glory can be proclaimed. God's great grace for his church is that he didn't just say, go figure it out. He said, gather and I will equip and provide. And he has. He has provided and he protects his church. May we never forget that. When we forget it, we begin to strive. We begin to toil. We begin to put structures in place that we think will actually like support His church and make it stronger. But any time we neglect the Word, and I'm going to go all the way back to neglecting the words by which leaders should be qualified because they are from God and they are for our good, then His church will stray. You and I should desire leaders who meet the qualifications of 1 Timothy 3 through, how far did we go today? 3 through 13. There must, that, that, that's just my heart. I'm just going to kind of hit a hard stop there. I'm just going to keep moving. I want you to hear Jethro's advice. I need you to go to Exodus. First off, Jethro's a cool name that we don't use anymore, and we should. We should have named one of the kids Jethro. Instead of Jackson, it's Jethro. Okay. Go to Exodus chapter 18. I'm just going to tell you, we're going to start in verse 1, but then we're going to be skipping along the way because I want to make sure that we have time for for, for all of this. And so I will lead you through the passage. But in Exodus 18, verse 1, Now Jethro, again, cool name, the priest of Midian and the father-in-law of Moses, just in case you ever wondered, heard of everything God had done for Moses and for his people Israel and how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Look at verse 9. So skip down to 9. Jethro was delighted to hear all about I'm sorry, to hear about all the good things the Lord had done for Israel in rescuing them from the hand of the Egyptians. Verse 14, when his father-in-law saw, so whenever Jethro, when his father-in-law Jethro saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he, Jethro said, what is this you're doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as judge while all these people stand around you from morning till evening? Verse 15, Moses answered him because the people come to me to see God's will. Look at verse 17. Moses' father-in-law replied, What you are doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. Listen now to me, and I will give you some advice, and may God be with you. You must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to Him. Teach them his decrees and instructions and show them the way they are to live and how they are to behave. But select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain. 
and appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Did you, did you catch all of that? So here's Moses, God's representative, and God did absolutely call Moses to be the representative of the people. And then here comes the father-in-law with some advice. But if we look at it, it's actually not grand, or I'm sorry, it's not, um, it's not just um, advice, it's godly wisdom. And we see Moses respond to that. And from this point, we actually see a plurality throughout Israel of leadership. And to just bring it home, for us today, we see that a healthy church also has a plurality of elders and deacons, though there may be one lead pastor. But that one lead pastor does not reign and rule over all the other leaders in the church, but is one of the elders. And so we see a healthy biblical model from the beginning to the end that there must be a plurality of elders, there must be a plurality of deacons, and every time you see them all throughout Scripture, you're going to see the S on there, which dictates that there is a plurality of them. But the plurality of elders is a biblical concept that we have preached on before. For simplicity's sake, just know that it's all throughout there, but begin to study this on your own or, or ask for the notes. But I just want us to go back to Jethro's advice. He did not say it's unwise for you to continue to do all these things. What did he say? It is not good. It's not good, Moses, that you're doing all this. It's not good for you. It's not good for Israel. Ricky, it's not good for you. It's not good for the church. It's not good. And Moses hears it. We want to be a church that understands it is not good for there to be the one who stands in front of everybody else with all the answers. It is actually good. It is actually wise to have a council of biblically qualified men who are together leading the church in one direction for His glory alone. Just, okay, let's keep on looking. So now let's... Uh, all right, now let's look at the office of deacon. All right. There are two offices that we see clearly defined in Scripture. The, the role of elder and the role of deacon. Does this mean that other churches who have other offices are wrong? No. If they want to have trustees, they can. It's not wrong to have other offices. The church is wrong whenever it doesn't have these two offices and have them properly um, identified and qualified. So there can be other offices, but there cannot be less than these two offices. With that said, we're going to be installing and appointing and recognize whatever word you want right there, deacons, our first ever deacons at Cross Life. It's good for you to know, to be reminded what a deacon is and, and what a deacon does, but also to keep in mind that a deacon is not an elder and an elder is not a deacon and this is for the good of the church. So we're going to give some attention to deacons and we're going to give some attention to elders and we're going to be praying for these men who God has saved, who God has equipped, and who God secures for all of eternity, and who is brought here for the good of His church. All right, let's go back to the deacons. We're actually going to be starting in, in verse 8. It says, Deacons likewise must be dignified. And as we do this, I do want you to consider, like as our final check here, you have Trent McKinley right here, with Christy McKinley. This is someone we're saying meets these qualifications. We have Matt Jarvis with Julie Jarvis right here. We're saying this is someone who meets these qualifications. They must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. 
And let them be tested first, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanders, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Cross life. These two men that are being placed before cross life meet these qualifications. And if you visit with them about these qualifications and their own desires, you will not hear them boast in themselves, but will hear with humility the fact that we are basically forcing them to accept the title. And what I mean by that is as we sat with them and visited with them, you did not hear men who said, yeah, 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 let me do that. I'm ready to do that. Rather, what, what you heard was, does it change what I've been doing? No. Well, then I'm just going to keep doing that, and I don't need the title. I think there's a great mark of humility there. And it was said differently in, in each way. But y'all, can you please hear me, church? That is the heart of a deacon. He is not greedy for gain, for a claim. He just wants to serve the church as it has a need. That is the heart of a deacon. And our response to these men is, number one, you're already doing the work of a deacon. And they're like, yeah, that's why we don't need the title. But you're already doing the work of a deacon. Number two, we want you to have the title because number one, it's biblical. And number two, y'all listen to this. We want our sons and daughters to know what a deacon truly is. We have created deacons in a church culture that actually does not line up with the office of deacon. Not every church. I don't mean that in a, in a judgmental way. I'm just saying we want to be cautious and careful across life that we really show our sons and daughters what a deacon truly is. Big question is, and what do they do? I mean, are they going to be up here preaching? Or they, what, what are they supposed to be doing? That's a great question, especially if you have lived in Arkansas and been at a Southern Baptist church and you've grown up and in your life, well, deacons seem like they're doing everything. You know what? Deacons are going to be busy. Look at Acts chapter 6, 1 through 7. But they're going to be busy about the right things. And we want to be careful to make it the right things. Acts chapter 6 is really our best sampling of what deacons do. It actually does not clarify what deacons do all throughout Scripture. Each church kind of identifies and fills this up. And so we've been talking, we're ha we have understandings that, that I'm going to share with you, but it's what we see in Scripture. So in Acts chapter 6, the church is growing. Okay, so Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve, the apostles, so the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Okay, real quick, if you're not careful, you read the wrong motive there. You're like, wait a minute. They think that they're too good to serve the widows and the orphans. Isn't that pure and undefiled religion? That's not what they're saying. They know that the Lord who saved them is also the one who stooped to wash the feet of his disciples before he was betrayed. They know this. They know even more so, though, the importance of the spiritual needs of the disciples going forward. And they said, look, we're looking all around at the body of God, the body of Christ that he is building, and we are called to do this. 
right? So they're not saying we're too good for it. May that never be what an elder at this church says. They're never saying we cannot do that. They're saying we have a higher priority right now, and that's to keep teaching you the word. Okay, so right perspective there. Verse 3, brothers and sisters, the apostles say, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them, and we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, uh, Timon, sorry. Went into, um, what is that, Lion King there for a moment. Great movie. Parmenas and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert of Judaism, to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Y'all, this passage illustrates what is considered the origin of deacons. These seven were chosen to meet the physical needs of the believers. So here's what we say, that the deacons lead by serving. They are leaders in the church, but they lead by serving. What are the physical needs of the church so that the word can be studied and delivered and applied by the elders? That's the heart of the deacon. What can the deacon, what physical needs, what matters can be handled so that the elders are able to handle the spiritual needs of the church? Another way to, to phrase it would be this. What are the physical needs of the church? This is for the deacons so that the spiritual needs can be met. This is for the elders. Because as we gather, we're gathering on two different levels. There is absolutely spiritual warfare going on. We see the physical, but even as we preach, we would be ignorant to believe that Satan does not hate and Satan is not striving to distract us from the very word that is being preached right now. Elders care for the spiritual life. Uh, I was going to say the spiritual nature of the church, the spiritual nature and life of the church. And deacons care for the physical needs so that the word and prayer can continue going forward. I think what we kind of start bringing this together, deacons should not be known for their titles, but for their hearts of service. And in this, they so honor the Lord who saved them and his church. As Christ so washed the feet of his disciples, so the deacons are ready to humbly serve Christ's followers and his church today. Y'all, it is an honor to serve as the Lord served. He laid aside his glory so that he may come to serve and not to be served. And this is what a deacon is. And we're saying that these two men are deacons. Their heart is to serve the saints. Please hear this. The, the work of a deacon is a high and holy calling so that others may know and glorify Christ all the more. And these two men cross life, Matt Jarvis and Trent McKinley, are two men who not only exemplify these characteristics, you've submitted their names to us, but who have been chosen from among you and who will be prayed over and recognized as deacons so that God's glory will be more manifest in His church. They have the full approval of the elders and the full approval of the church. Our desire then, as elders, is that God, through their ministry, awakens and continues to equip more men and women to serve as deacons in the coming years. Let's talk about elders. What are the qualifications for an elder? We've been talking about deacons. As you're, flipping, go, you're going to flip all the way back to 1 Timothy, and as you're flipping, I want to clarify something. Ricky, if a deacon is such a high and holy calling, why have we not had deacons until now? 
If it's a biblical office, why has why Cross Life not had one? Because it's better to have no deacons than the wrong deacons. We care so much about leadership and honoring the word that we waited until the Lord said, now is the time that you are going to be doing this. Whenever the physical needs and the schedules of the church get to be too much, then I will pray. And we've rested in that. And so here we are. All right, everybody's back at 1 Timothy. What are elders? What do they do? What are their qualifications? 1 Timothy chapter 3. And we are saying, church, that Mike Brown right here sitting next to, to Anna, his name has been brought forth as an elder. This should be the qualifications. We're saying these are the qualifications of Mike. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, must be blameless. The husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle. And can I hit pause real quick? Look at that last one. Not violent, but what? Gentle. An elder of a church must be gentle. A gentle spirit is what honors the Lord. Going to keep going. That was going to be its own sermon. Had to delete those notes. Look at this. Not quarrelsome. Not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace and to the snare of the devil. And by his name coming forward and through elders meeting with him, we say he meets these qualifications. Is he perfect at them? Is Andy perfect at them? Am I perfect at them? By God's grace, we are who we are, which is so much further along than where we ever were. But this is the tenor of the elder's life, that this is what makes sense for those whom God would call to lead his church. Not that we are perfect, but we've been saved by the perfect one who is perfecting in us the faith by which he will be glorified. The big question is, then, what do they do? I mean, if the deacons are meeting the physical needs of the church, like making sure church is set up, making sure that if you have a need as a family, like they're there with you, they're communicating with the elders. If they're doing all those things, then what do the elders do? It's a great question. We just kind of kick back and we read the Bible and drink coffee all day. No, like let's, let's look at Scripture. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17. First Timothy chapter five verse seventeen. Actually, let, let's honor other pastors who help me honor other pastors who've poured into your life um, for a moment. Sometime this week, I want you to send another pastor or elder a message, thanking them for the work that they have done for you and for others. There is a major misconception amongst uh, about pastors that they work primarily on Wednesday afternoons to get ready for church, and that they work on Sundays and then maybe on Friday or Saturday to like get the sermon ready. That's a huge major misconception. They carry a burden that nobody else can see so that they can lead the church that God has called into existence. So honor them by sending them a word of thanks. Okay? They have labored for your souls. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17. Here's what an elder does. We've got several passages I want to walk you through. Let the elders, plural, 
who rule well be considered worthy of double honor. And we've preached through that, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. There's something kind of clever there I want to nuance. One aspect of being an elder is that they preach and teach. Absolutely. But did you notice the word especially? It appears that there are elders who rule, but that there are especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. So that there will be elders, it seems, who though able to teach may not actually publicly preach or teach. But they are still in charge of the spiritual oversight. Maybe they are great counselors. Maybe they are pouring into people publicly. Maybe they are opening their house to hospitality. Maybe they are D-group leaders. It doesn't mean that all elders will stand right up here and preach every Sunday or once a month. It means that though they have the ability to do it, there are those who are especially laboring in that. Does that make sense? So you won't always see every elder up here behind our music stand pulpit. Okay? But they are full of wisdom and they're leading the church spiritually in some capacity. Look at 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1-5. through 5. First Peter 5, verses 1 through 5 say, So I exhort the elders among you, elders plural, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. And here's what he says. He's saying it to the elders. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Look at verse 2. The elder is to shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. That means that the elders are to watch over the church. The deacons are, are meeting the physical needs of the church so that the elders can think about the church and pray for the church and make sure they're carefully watching over it. To, and, and so there's some qualifications there too. They're, they're not to do it under compulsion. They're not to be domineering. They're not to seek shameful gain. But you know what they are to be? Look in verse 3. To me, this is the mark of an elder. They're examples to the flock. You and I should be able to look at the elders of a church and see that this is what faithful living for God looks like. Though flawed in the flesh, a heart completely devoted to God. So an elder is one who shepherds a flock. And if you think of shepherding a flock, you think of, rightly, a shepherd in the middle of a field and a flock of sheep all around them. And he's got his crook. right? He's got the shepherd's crook. So he can like bring them back in, so that he can direct them, so that whenever he's weary, he can continue to plod on so he can fight off enemies. That's what the elders do. They walk with the sheep. They are not an elite group. In fact, this was one of the conversations of the deacons and the elders is that we want to clarify that in installing and recognizing new and appointing new leadership, this is not some elite group of super Christians and we've somehow like elevated ourselves to here. But it'd be clear that shepherds walk with the sheep and are amongst the sheep. The shepherds smell like the sheep. And the shepherds get bit by the sheep. You know why? Because the sheep are right there with them. And so it just is how the church should work. 
The elders are not an elite group. The deacons are not a gatekeeper for the elders. You don't go to a deacon to talk to one of the elders. You don't talk to one of the elders to talk to a deacon. They are men and women much like you and I, but they have been equipped specially and uniquely for his body to serve in this capacity. And they may very well go to another church at some point and ever serve as a deacon or an elder there because that's not how they are to fulfill a role at that body. But elders are to shepherd the flock, exercising oversight and being examples. This example is in church. It's in their faith. It's in their speech. It's in their conduct. It's in their character. It's in their marriage. It's in their service. You and I should be able to look to an elder and see that that's what a godly man looks like. I realize that that seems very self-serving, but I say it with a heavy weight knowing that you're all looking at me right now. That's not my heart. My heart is that as we install elders, that we are installing or appointing men who are examples of the faith. Look at 1 Thessalonians. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 through 13. Paul's writing to them, and at the coming to the end of the letter, he says, We ask you, brothers, everybody, okay, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. It's speaking of elders there. It's talking about the, the leaders of the church. So respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. All right, two things real quick. We see the duty and the status of the elders, number one. He labors among you. He is over you in the Lord, and he admonishes you, which means he can give direction. He gives correction. Whenever I would say, you know, those of you who, who said Mike, I would say, why? Mike, I want, we don't want us to go, okay, Mike, good. We get, good, we're getting some help here, right? So we're, we, we would ask, tell us, tell us why Mike. He's doing it every Sunday whenever he's leading in worship. He clarifies what we're reading. He reminds us of what Scripture is. He models the gentleness or the humility. So, labors among you. You know what that also tells me? That elders arise from within, just like deacons. Elders are from within. They're not brought from outside and then brought in and just kind of implanted. He is over you in the Lord. He's watching over your souls. And number three, he admonishes you, gives instructions. Second, this is a big thing. We see the response of the congregation, and it's to, quote, esteem them, the elders, very highly in love. Why? Because of their work. In other words, the congregation grasps the value of their spiritual work and oversight and highly esteems them because the congregation understands the importance of the task. Make sense? Okay. We're almost done. Go to Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. says this, Hebrews 13, 17. This is a heaviness that gets laid upon the elders. It says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So 
First thing we see, leaders of the church, the elders, are to be obeyed. They're to be obeyed and they're to be respected, absolutely. Okay, but I want you to hear this as we're about to appoint a new elder, what we're asking him to do. Look at the weight that the elders carry. They are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. I, as an elder of Cross Life, will give an account for your souls. Andy, as an elder, will give an account for your souls. Mike, once appointed as an elder, will give an account for your souls. It's enough to keep you up at night. It's enough to wake you up in the morning. It's enough to help you like weep and rejoice with everything going on in everyone's life. It's not all heavy in a bad way. It's heavy because of the burden that we carry in the long term of it. But we rejoice with those who are rejoicing. We weep with those who are broken. Those whom God calls and equips to serve as elders will give an account for the souls God places around them. Y'all, elders care for the souls. They care about your walks with the Lord. They care deeply about your struggles, your brokenness, your victories, and your rejoicing. It is a heavy care, though a joyful care, with an eternal accountability. So if it's just for the title, man, there's a lot of eternal accountability to be given for that title right there. It's not a title. It's what we've been called to do. All right, y'all, all of these passages illustrate the role of an elder, which is to watch over the church, to shepherd it, to care for the souls of the congregants, to teach God's Word. If deacons lead by serving, elders serve by leading. What are the spiritual needs of the church so the believers may be equipped to do the work of ministry, to grow in their faith, to overcome, to cling to the gospel and the glory of God? That's what the elders do. While deacons serve to meet the physical needs of the church, the elders are serving to meet the spiritual needs that need to be met. And in these dual and necessary offices and biblical offices, God's church is provided for because of God's great grace. As Christ so proclaimed the kingdom of God, so the elders are ready to humbly teach and serve Christ's followers in His church today. And like deacons, elders should not be known for their titles, but for their hearts of service. And in this, they so honor the Lord who saved them in His church. It is an honor to serve as the Lord served. He laid aside His glory so that He may come to serve and not be served. This remains the heart of the elder. It's just in a different capacity. Hear this. The work of the elder, like the work of a deacon, is a high and holy calling so that others may know and glorify Christ all the more. And Mike Brown is one who not only exemplifies these characteristics, but someone we all have chosen from amongst us and who will be prayed over and recognized as an elder at Cross Life so that God's glory will become more manifest in his church. He has the full approval of the elders and of the congregation. And our desire for him is that God, through his ministry, awakens and continues to equip more men and women in their faith. All right. So church, this is a very sweet and special moment for these men, for their wives, for their families. It is not a celebration that they have asked for. But you need to know this is very special for the life of Cross Life. We've studied before and have been, and have been reminded today of the primacy of God's Word in understanding church leadership. And now we want to show our approval and support of these men by laying hands on them as we pray for them. Let me remind you of one great overarching thing that we may be tempted to forget in all of this. Absolutely remember God's great grace towards you for His glory.
but absolutely remember God's great grace for his church, for his glory, and that he provides and he protects all that we need. What we're about to do is we're going to have them come up, and then I'm going to invite everyone who is comfortable with this, which I hope is a vast majority. You do not have to be a member to do this if you have been a long-standing or a long-visiting guest because you understand the heart of these men. But we're just going to lay hands on them, and as we do that, then you might not be able to reach all the way to them, so you can just put your hand on the shoulder or the arm of someone who's in front of them, but we're going to have them and their wives come up here. But I just want to put some context on what we're about to do. It's kind of weird, okay? Let's just call it what it is. We're going to bring some people up here. We're going to put hands on them. We don't do that normally. You know what happens if you read the Bible? They laid hands on people. It's biblical. It's okay. Is it uncomfortable? Maybe, but uncomfortable doesn't mean bad. What we do whenever we're laying our hands on them is we're showing a a powerful affirmation and partnership with them in the gospel. We're affirming that we are praying for them. It's a visible sign of partnership, but it is biblical. And I want to hold to that more so than what Spurgeon said. And I love Spurgeon's quote, empty hands on empty heads. Absolutely it is, right? Our hands are empty in and of themselves. There is no like special power that we are transferring to these men. Are their heads empty? They're humble enough to answer that themselves so that I don't get in trouble. We'll ask their wives. Empty hands on empty heads is what Spurgeon said. There's a lot of truth to that. We're not saying there's power in any one of us. We're saying that we recognize in our body that God has brought together that we are in partnership with them and we affirm their leadership and we will follow them. And we want, to, we want that visible and physical expression of that. Does that make sense? So I'm going to ask Mike Brown as elder, Matt Jarvis and Trent McKinley, y'all come forward with your families. Do y'all want Drake in here? Yo, that's okay? Okay. Y'all are just going to stand right up here with your spouses? (laughs) Let me get the notes back out. All right. I'm going to ask you to all come up here. Um, if you will, and I realize you only have two hands, or you know, you only feel comfortable using one. There's six. I get it, but you're, we're going to surround them, and then Andy is going to lead us in a prayer for them. And then whenever he says Amen, everybody will go back to their seats, and then we will move into our final song and benediction. But I will say before he prays, Trent with Christy alongside you, Mike with Anna alongside you, Matt with Julie alongside you. It is an honor to be able to do this today. And we're excited to be a part of it.